Totally Football Show. Today, Nations League, hell yeah. At Wembley, it's move over Dalich as England book their place in Portugal. Elsewhere, football's Cooman home as Netherlands continue their comeback, beating the world champs. There's news of Wales, Switzerland, Gibraltar and Scotland still in it after shot 4-0 win in Albania, featuring the tidiest forest finish since Trump gave them all rakes. We round up all the weekend's news and more, including football folk who turn up in films in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Hope you're well. Who's in today? Why? It's multicultural football's Tom Williams. Hello, James. Also Welsh. Bonjour. Bonjour, monsieur. That's right, Julian Laurent. Hello. James Horncastle produces it Laurent's. Is he right? So, in France, you pronounce the S. Oh, you do? Yeah, you do. Okay, so Julian In this country, I think people felt it was more French not to say the S. Yes. So, I, I let it go. Okay. So, it's up to you, really. No hit, Herlock. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, try to talk without saying any yeses. Yeah, that's going to be Please fun. don't call me Daniel Torrey. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. That is Daniel Story. Sweary Daniel Story, actually. Mm-hmm. After your oh. tweets following mm. the extraordinary performance, one of the extraordinary games on, on Sunday at Wembley. We're going to talk about Nations League, of course. Let's know that's OK with you. Because I've got to say, I love an international break these days. Tom, just your tweet. I think you're of the same opinion. 146 years since the first international football match and it's taken the Nations League to give us the ultimate format. Yeah, I mean, that was a slightly tongue-in-cheek uh, remark. But, yeah, I mean, the Nations League has been a sensation so far. And I, I think it was really brought home to me the um, the success of the format during those very tense final few minutes of the England-Croatia game <sighs> when a goal for Croatia would have taken them through it and relegated the England. Yeah. So to, to have that sort of knife-edge scenario, when do you ever have that in, in football? Um, so I think that's, yeah, an interesting new element. That's, it was that's extraordinary, wasn't to it? The game. Yeah, a great round of football. You had Germany relegated, Scotland maybe in the qualifiers, and I think I may have understood finally how that works. But also, at, at, I mean, that Belgian-Switzerland game was, was mad. But one of the great games, I mean, Jules, you were... Watching it from an objective point of view, England against uh, Croatia, but just fantastic match, no? The, yeah, certainly the was, last half hour. Yeah, I was commentating for, for French radio. and um, So there's a few things. I think that the first half was very good. And for me, the, the thing going forward for England and Southgate and the players, we'll have to maintain that consistency because we saw the World Cup against Croatia already in the, in the semi-final that they were very good in the first half and then couldn't keep that up for the whole 90 minutes. And it's not, it's not so much that. A lot of teams can't do that. Yeah. But usually you have a 10 or 15 minutes where you're not playing as well and then you go back on top. And except, Like yesterday, they were on top in the first half and then they were completely average, I thought, in the second half for the, for the, for the 31st minutes of that second half before Linga scored and then Kane scored, obviously. But yeah. I thought Croatia was by far the better side for half an hour in the second half. And I think the next step for England and Southgate would be to be able to keep the level that they've showed often in first halves for more like like in the Spain game for example you know mm. the Spain game the first half was incredible the second half was really poor and I thought there was a lot of that again yesterday and I think they they, they deserve to win because of that first half but they were lucky to win it the way they did in the second half yeah that's a little bit too measured let's have some rah 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 thumping <laughs> Daniel no it, it was important because after the World Cup and you know we all got on board that hype train but after the World Cup Gareth Southgate said very firmly Yes, enjoy this, celebrate what we've done. But this is part of a wider journey. This is the start of a journey. It's nothing more than that. And therefore, what happened immediately post that World Cup was always going to be crucial. Um, And 
the Nations League has turned into a brilliant format, but there was a time, there must have been a time when Gareth Southgate looked at it and thought, actually, these are games I could probably do without because the big questions about the England team were, A, could they beat teams that are better than them? And B, could they win when it came to it under pressure? And and in this, you know, in this six-month period, they've done exactly that. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I, you know, I make no bones about it. I'm incredibly excited about the future of England. 2017 was this year of potential with the young teams, the age group teams, winning unprecedentedly at, at age group level. But 2018 has already moved on from that. And mm. you know, other than the, the the only slight not worry, but the only slight chink in the armour is having another summer in which the team is forced to play competitive football rather than having a break. But for Gareth Southgate... It's only a a four-day tournament. Yeah, it is only a four-day tournament, but it it, it will be more than that. It means that they don't get that end... (laughs) Might be less than that. Yeah, agreed. They don't get that early June break, which which most footballers see as crucial for for the start of the season. Although, if if I'm right in my understanding, teams like Spain, who, because of England's success, will not be going to the final for in Portugal, will instead have a couple of uh, qualifying matches to do next summer because they'll be in a a six-team qualifying group for the next Euros, whereas Mm. England and the other three final four teams will get smaller groups. Uh, but the, the great thing about this game as well was that it had such a perfect build-up with Croatia's dramatic uh, victory against Spain, who'd previously won them, of course, what was it, 6-0. No, yeah. And this time around, that late winner to set this game up, where, as, as you were saying, I think, Tom, anyone could go through, anyone could win the group, and one of England or Croatia were going to be relegated. And with 12 minutes to go, it was England. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jules has, has spoken about some of the, the difficulties England have sustaining a performance level over an entire match. And I think one of the things we saw in that first half was another problem that has, I wouldn't say it's a recurrent problem, but it's something we've seen quite a bit, is, is England not converting chances that they create. And then almost as a consequence of that, whether it's a psychological effect, I don't know, but kind of sitting back a little bit more in the second half. Mm-hmm. And, and they, did against Spain. they did it three, so well against you know, Spain, so but shot, I think I think I think this game against Croatia showed that you know that Spain game hasn't just corrected that issue all on its own. Um, but in terms of a comeback, the way the lights went out for them after Croatia scored, and what, what was it that made the difference? Then was it uh, Southgate's substitutions? That final fifteen minutes was blistering. The atmosphere must have been incredible at, at Wembley. It was really flat for for most of the game. Uh-huh. It was really flat, and. The, I think there was 2,500 Croats and they were really, really loud and you could only hear them. I don't know on television if you could, but in the stadium and the rest was so flat and yet it picked up after the Linga goal. Yeah. It was always going to be anyway. Sure. But Sadge so said at the end, like the fans were amazing today. I haven't seen an atmosphere like this. For That was not true. The yeah. last 15 minutes were fantastic yeah. because they could feel like there was an opportunity there and they could win the game. But I think for the rest of the game, there was not much of an atmosphere at all and the stadium was not full and I, I was really surprised to see the stadium not full at all for a mm. game like that. The nice thing as, as an England fan is that we're talking about micro issues, not macro issues. For, for a long time, probably two, three decades, we've been talking about macro problems with English football of why the team isn't moving forward. And now it feels like we're talking about things that could be done better rather than everything that has to change. That's really refreshing. And for all there is clearly an issue with, with that fall-off in intensity during the game, the comeback is something that, I think that they can be really proud of. Huh? Yeah, it's the, mm. but I tweeted yesterday, it's the it's the first time that England have been trailing after 70 minutes of a match and won since Italia 90. Since Cameroon. Game. Yes. Which is um, an iconic... Exactly, yeah. And and ever since the start of last summer, or ever since last May, to, May 2018, um, there have been people lining up to kind of take pot shots at England, and some of them are England fans. So 
you know, everyone says, oh, you're excited about the World Cup. Well, England will be rubbish. Then it's England get to the semi-final and people say, well, you didn't beat a good team along the way. And then it's, we've, well, we've beaten Spain in Spain and it's, yeah, but no one cares about the Nations League. And at some point, people are going to have to concede that this England team is moving in the right direction, which is all we ever really asked for. I thought Southgate was really good in the press conference afterwards. He said, you know, we talk about New England, which is true, but we want it today as the old England because it's two set pieces at the end of the day. One throw in, a long throw in. Uh, and then and then the, the, the wide free kick. Uh, but he also said something quite interesting about, he said, we sit down with the players and we talk about what are we going to do if we are goal behind with 15 minutes to go. I can guarantee you that a lot of national team managers don't do that with their players. They don't sit them down and say, OK, the situation is we're 1-0 down at home against Croatia. What do we do? You know, how, how do we respond mentally? How do we respond psychologically to a game like this? And I think that kind of relationship he has with the players has been key on, on what they're building right now. And we said, OK, there's, there's still a few things to sort out. But he, I thought he was really impressive in his press conference after the game. And he also said that they worked on throw-ins on Saturday, so the day before the game with Joe Gomez and I mean for a manager it must be so amazing when you work on something at training the day before a game especially a game of that calibre and that importance and then the next day you're clearly you're going out and the last result was okay he told Joe Gomez to do that long throw in because they hadn't done one in the whole game before that one then that led to the goal and by the way if you're the Croatian manager on the other hand how ridiculous to consider goal at that level on a long throw in like that I don't care how much they've worked on it in England and how much Joe Gomez have worked with on it at Liverpool with, with Thomas Gronmark, the, um, the, the, the specialist throwing coach that they have in the, in the Liverpool staff. But you should never consider a goal like this at that level, I think, at that time in the game. All right. The final thing on England. Yep. The problem with England in the past has been when we needed a big win, they've relied upon experience. They've gone to their go-to guys. The ultimate example of that is the, is the Croatia game in 2007 when England needed to win and, and it was Beckham that was brought off the bench to change the game. Yesterday, Southgate brought on Lingard, who is one of the oldest players in that team, but is pretty low on international experience. He brought on Jaden Sancho, who is inexperienced in both 12 of the 14 players England do yesterday we were aged between 18 and 25 mm. that's pretty much unprecedented for an England team so it's great to think although we did use a set pieces and it yeah, was a kind yeah. of old England style it was it was new England players doing it but the Are first you... half was the way they played was outstanding it really was at time and the, the pitch was bad and again I mean it's beyond me how you can put an England team on that kind of pitch but anyway that's another problem but the way they're playing the first half and if they can do that for a bit longer maybe not the whole 90 minutes because like we said it's impossible but for more longer they'd be very very hard to beat because they were so good Are you excited about Portugal Daniel? Yeah I am because the teams that have qualified so far are teams that are not teams that England should be afraid of Alright Can I get the the totally transit van out the garage I think <laughs> could be heading down Lusitania way you're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. OK, final four then. Now, the uh, tournament is going to be held, Tom, between the 5th and the 9th of June. Portugal, very much the host nation, with the Estadio do Dragão, Porto's home, and, uh, ooh, uh, strangely, Guimarães, uh, their Estadio Afonso Henriquez. Those are the two venues, apparently only two venues. I mean, there's only going to be a couple of semi-finals, a final, and yes, I can confirm, there's a third, fourth playoff, which is great. Uh, the draw for this final four will be on the 3rd of December in, in Dublin. In the hat, England, Portugal, who survived that nil-nil thumping from Italy at San Siro. Either Netherlands or France, depending on what happens when Netherlands visit Germany this Monday evening. 
And the other place was settled by Sunday night's clash between Switzerland and Belgium. Belgium went into the game with a 100% record in the group. To take top spot in the group, they only needed to avoid losing by two goals. So, yeah. And they were 2-0 up after 17 minutes, thanks to uh, Torgan Hazard. Oh, and then what happened, Jules? And then they crumbled. They crumbled completely. Nasser Shadli, West Bromwich Albion legend, had a shocker. I mean, a shocker to, to a level where it's hard to see at that, le- at that level again. And he, he basically brought Switzerland back in the game by Ricardo Rodriguez scoring a penalty for, for Switzerland. And after that, psychologically, you, you can have all the talent in the world and, and Belgium certainly have, even without De Bruyne and Lukaku. And they had a really, really strong team yesterday. But psychologically, they were so weak and they crumbled like, I don't know, you know, you, you never expected them to. And it's one, once again, if you look at, for, for different reasons each time, but when you expected them to beat Wales in, in the Euros um, in 2016 quarterfinals and to continue, they failed and they've certainly failed more mentally than anything else. It was more complacency on that game than anything else, but they crumbled. You expected them against France in the semi-final of the World Cup maybe to do a bit better than that. And again, I think mentally they, they struggled. And then again, yesterday in, a, in another competition, official competition where you expected them at 2-0 up, cruising to at least see the game out you didn't, yeah. they didn't have to, to score two or three more goals just yes. to see it out they completely crumbled mentally and they, I mean Switzerland could have easily you played 15 more minutes they would have scored 7, 8, 9 even it was that bad Belgium forgot to defend according to their manager Roberto Martinez but, but I know but what is Roberto Martinez doing exactly yeah. do you see what I mean at 2-2 surely you think like oh god there's something wrong here it's almost as if the manage, it's the manager's responsibility to set up a team that is able to defend um, what was effectively a three goal lead at 2-0 um, that's what we've always said about Martinez we've said he is a kind of sunshine manager that likes to play the right game the right way likes his team to score goals but that's fine, but you have to be able to do things when times get tough. And as soon as Switzerland scored that first goal, you just saw Belgium crumble on the pitch. And it has to be the manager's responsibility to give them that strength. And this is a guy who was being talked about the Real Madrid job last month. It's a nonsense. It really is. But what about the Swiss, though? How impressive were they? Yeah, so, I mean, Harris Seferovic is a strange one because he, he just doesn't score goals regularly at club level. He's never scored more than 10 in a league season. Um, and he scored very infrequently for Switzerland until this year when he's got 9 in 12 mm. and scored a hat-trick uh, against Belgium. Maybe you should play alongside Jude and Shaqiri more often. Yeah, Shaqiri was, was excellent. Um, Switzerland went into that kind of party mode of we've got nothing to lose here, we might as well just play and basically found that the kindest, most generous opponent they could to play that sort of football, they threw everything forward and it and that sort of thing doesn't work all the time, but it, it can work against Martinez's Belgium. Mm. I mean, it's it's obviously surprising to see Belgium lose in that fashion, particularly having gone two up um, mm. early on as they did. But Switzerland have had a, a pretty decent year, 18 months. I mean, they won nine of their 10 World Cup qualifiers, would have qualified automatically had they not lost to Portugal in their final game. Came through a really tricky World Cup group with Brazil and Serbia, knocked Serbia out. Okay, lost to Sweden 
in um in the last 16 but i i saw them play england uh, in a friendly at uh, the king power in september and they looked like a really decent team i mean they absolutely dominated possession in the first, first half, half yeah. shakiri has now been moved off the right wing and put right in the middle of of the play mm. um and i think you saw that against belgium and he sort of pops up all over the pitch he's gathering the ball off his center backs he's linking with the wide players he had a hand in two or three of the goals you got some of the you know younger players coming through there's been a slight changing of the guard i mean i can't remember kevin and babu at all when he was at Newcastle and now he's back at Young Boys and playing with Switzerland looks like a, a real player like you know getting forward from right back so they look pretty decent mm. um, you're calling for dark horses in Portugal next summer yeah time. why not I mean given yeah. there's only four teams yeah they were it's not four. that big a stretch but yeah I mean top four I'd they say were, at, at least they were out of the two uh, centre-halves as well Akanji and Shah didn't play last night oh okay so the four then Switzerland Portugal, England, and then the final component of this final four will either be Netherlands or France, depending on what happens when the Netherlands face Germany this Monday evening. A draw for the Dutch, and they'll take the group after they beat world champions France 2-0 last Friday. A result that, which of course also had the collateral effect of relegating the Germans. Relegating the Germans. So they're definitely down in League B. Anyway... Some crisis for Netherlands. What happened then in Rotterdam against a France team that was on an unbeaten streak of, what, 15 games, was mm. it yours? Yeah, they hadn't lost since uh, Colombia in March in a friendly in uh, in Paris. They just they just never turned up. Should have been more than two as well because Hugo Lloris had an incredible game. and But the Dutch could have scored four, five, probably even six. They were that good. They were really good, I have to say. Frankie de Jong and Mathis Delit, all, all the young players, but also the more experienced. I mean, Ryan Babel. If you haven't seen Ryan Babel play since his Liverpool day and you see him now, you can't believe he's the same player. He was really outstanding and so was Memphis Depay. And, and the French just never turned up. They really never turned up. I think Deschamps got the team wrong at the beginning anyway. Uh, and the one who played... So there was a few players missing. No Lucas Hernandez, no Mtiti, no Pogba. Mm. And I think without Pogba especially, you could see the difference, uh, funnily enough. But... The one who replaced them, like Steven and Zonzi, had a shocker for most of them, Luca Ding as well. And the three up front, Giroud, Griezmann and, and Mbappé did nothing, did nothing good at all. And it was, it was really shocking Deschamps was livid and give them a proper uh, hydro treatment. But you just can't, can't turn up like that and be complacent and, and not be ready to fight against a team like, like the Dutch who are really, really getting on something. A bit like England. There's something clearly, something in the making that, that yeah, could be very, very good so, there. So it wasn't long ago that we were dialing up Simon Cooper and asking him what's going on with the crisis in Dutch football. But there's no longer a crisis in Dutch football. What happened? Well, first, they have a real manager. I mean, no offence to the manager they had before, uh, like Danny Blin and... and, and you know, and, and people like that or, or the old school guys they brought before. I think Ronald Koeman had a very good idea of what he wanted to do before um, in terms of the way they play, in terms of the personnel as well. And I think he was always going to, to rely on, on those youngsters coming through because they are simply very, very good. And we see that with Ajax in the Champions League, for example, and to a lesser degree with PSV too, um, who had some good games. And, and, and also then... If you can rely up of a bit of experience too, like Babel and, and Daily Blinds and then Memphis Depay in that kind of form, then you become a very good team. Mm. 
Um, I think one of the problems that Holland had was that an entire generation of young players just didn't come through as they were expected to. And you look at the team that reached the semi-finals of the World Cup in 2014, and the core of that team was a bunch of players, sort of 29, 30, I mean, even guys like Dirk Hout, you know, Ron Vlaar, Schneider, Robin, Van Persie, and the players who were supposed to come through and take their place, that the Royston Drenthe generation, if you like, just didn't do it. I mean, I think of, you know, the, the players of that era, it's only Ryan Barbel who is, who is still now in the Dutch setup. And, you know, and he's had a very, um, you know, peculiar career over the last few years. Um, and what's happening now is with players like um, Frankie de Jong, Matisse de Ligt, you've got these young players who've come through the academies at Ajax and PSV. And there's always quality in, in, in Dutch youth football. But, you know, finally, that there is, there is a group of players coming through and being brought in alongside guys like Virgil van Dijk. Um, and and again, you know, Ryan Barbel, Memphis Depay, two players who were kind of written off after they left England, um, who've both had had major resurgences. Um, and as Jules said, you know, Ronald Koeman, a coach with you know with more of a vision about how to bring everyone together. And I think what's what's been interesting about about the way they've played is that. You know, you tend to think that there is only one way for Dutch teams to succeed. You know, to have possession, to dominate. But I mean, they've—I think we've seen in, in in the Nations League games they've played that they can play in different ways. They can sit deep and counter because they have pace in forward areas, or they or they can play the possession game. All right, well, it's terrific to see them back. Although, unless Germany win, it will mean that France don't make it to the final four next so summer. You, you know, we said that Deschamps, and we we use a. a, a a noun that is not very nice oh. and it could mean something very rude as well mm-hmm. but he we, he's a very lucky guy and oh is it bottom he's got no it's oh. more the other, the other side. side yeah oh, really okay yeah. that signifies good fortune does it yeah because in italy if you say someone has bum they have culo that means yeah. that they are blessed with good fortune no in france it's, it's not in, it's not in tom's wonderful book but because it's, it's too rude to be there but yeah right. and we said that deschamps is very lucky and it, it wouldn't be surprising today that they actually end up that Germany, who, by the way, yes. for many reasons, need to win that game. One, because of the rivalry between the two countries, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And they lost 3-0 in, in Holland last month. So they can't, they can't afford another non-win game against the Dutch. Two, because if they lose tonight, they might be in pot two for the draw of the, the qualifiers for Euro Ooh, 2020, which would right. mean a very hard draw. Yep. And then because they've been relegated from National League, they won't have the second chance of trying to go to the Euros thanks to the Nations League, so they could be in big trouble there. And also, right. I think if there's another defeat, surely Yogi Love, I mean, they can even appoint you and you would do better. So Yogi Love would have to go if they lose tonight again. So for many reasons, I think it's a game that the, the, the Germans will take very seriously and you could expect them to really go for it. Germany in crisis then, as they take on the Netherlands this evening. A record six defeats this year already. Will it be another one? We'll be reacting to that game with Rafa, who's in on Thursday. So that'll be fun. Uh, elsewhere, Portugal confirmed their place in the final four with a nil-nil draw with Italy. Ooh, that was a nice atmosphere. Did you did you see this game on Saturday? Yeah, it was a good atmosphere. Yeah, at it Saturday, was good. wasn't it? It was really good. Yeah, and Mancini is onto something. You can yeah. tell definitely. Oh, they look a lot it. better now because it's a nil-nil, almost exactly a year on from the nil-nil, which cost them their place in the World Cup in Russia. But this time, although the headlines were, yeah, where are the goals? By and large, they were all talking the papers about it. It's, it's the road forward, the young players. And I think that uh, were it not for Immobile's uh, squandering of, of good Italian chances, uh, they would uh, they would have won the group. They, wouldn't, they need to find a striker, though. Yeah, they Whether do, that's Mario Balotelli, Ciro Immobile, or None of the above. Belotti. Or, you they know, look but, much yeah, better. One. Chiesa in the false... Oh, sorry, Insigne in the false nine ro- role in the, in the previous game with Bernadeschi out wide. But, I mean... Basically, yeah, because Benedeschi wasn't there, Chiesa slotted out wide, mm. and Chiesa looks fantastic anyway. 
Superb. All right, well, there you go. Uh, that's the situation then vis-a-vis what will be happening in Portugal uh, next summer. But there were other things that happened in the course of this weekend's internationals. We'll quickly round up those. Scotland fans, Welsh fans, Gibraltar fans, your bits after this. Introducing Paddy Power's Beat the Drop. We're giving every customer 30 days free entry and a grand up front. It's up to you to keep it. All you have to do is answer 10 questions correctly. Play now at beatthedrop.paddypower.com. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Now, what else happened in the Nations League? Well, in a quick roundup of the kind of Anglophone footballing territories, uh, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Gibraltar, of course, who were looking for their third win in a row, Tom, uh, they duly went 1-0 up at home to Armenia. Do you know what happened subsequently? No, I don't. They lost 6-2. Four goals from Chicago Fires, Yura Movsizyan, who sounds an exciting player. Uh, There was good news as well for... Well, sorry, there was better news, rather, for Scotland, who went to Albania with nine players out and only won 4-0. Yikes! Uh, It was a huge victory and one that means that with a win on Tuesday against Israel in Glasgow, Scotland will be in the mix for one of those playoff places at Euro 2020. Oh, my, Andrew Slaven is on the line. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, James? Very well. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm happy again. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, things Where are did, good again. I'm, yeah. I'm very pleased. Where did that extraordinary performance against away to Albania come from? What was behind that? Yeah, I mean, all, all the players that needed to step up did step up. Um, Stephen Fletcher was a late call-up and he got his penalty. And, and Ryan Fraser, who's been a player that Alex McLeish has wanted to put into his squad for a long time, um, but through injury, he's, he's not been able to play. But, but he, he was a key man on Saturday. Um, you know, he's, he's a player for Bournemouth who's been excellent all year. Like he's created more chances, more goal-scoring chances in the Premier League than any other player. So for, a, so for someone like that, um, to be in the Scotland squad is, is so vital and of course James Forrest just won October ma- uh, Man of the Month um, and he, he scored four against St Johnston in October he, he's in free-flowing form and then another player um, Ryan Christie and Callum McGregor another couple of Celtic players who have really stepped up to the mark um, when Scotland have needed them um, and in particular Alex McLeish because results haven't been great that loss against Israel uh, last month wasn't wasn't going to plan, um, but we've got a huge, huge game on Tuesday. Yeah, so when you went to Israel, all the talk was about how Israel never won at home and this was Scotland on a roll and all that, and McLeish's boys promptly bottled it. Is it going to happen again on Tuesday or this time in, in front of that incredible atmosphere, no doubt, in Glasgow? Is Scotland going to book the top place in the group? Well, th- this is the fear. It's almost like deja vu for Scotland all over again. It's set up perfectly for for glorious failure again, isn't it? Um, but I, I, I'm quietly confident again. I think last time I was on your show, I said the same thing. Um, but I'm quietly confident with um, you know the Tartan army behind us at, at Hamden and the Hamden roar should be should be a good occasion. Um, fingers crossed, we get the win, and then that would that would mean that we we step up to. Um, we, we get promoted, don't we? And then we're in the playoffs for yeah. Euro 2020. Another opportunity, anyway, to yep. get into Euro 2020. Yeah, because there'll be four places at Euro 2020, which will go to the winners of playoffs between all the group winners 
in each league, each level of the Nations League. Does that make sense? Who haven't already qualified. Who haven't already qualified. Yes, yeah, so Scotland will be playing off with the other group winners from their level, from the third tier of the Nations League. That's correct, yeah. Currently, I believe that's that's Finland in Group 2. It's between Norway, Bulgaria, Group 3, and then Serbia, Romania in Group 4. So these are the reason this whole competition was set up, so that it, could, it can be a competitive competition that gets rid of these pointless friendlies. So these are games that Scotland can look forward to, um, albeit if, if they get through via the normal channels, um, that would be great. But... Um, it, it also frees up this. I know how complicated this is, but if Norway or Bulgaria or any other teams in Group C qualify through uh, the normal platforms, then it, it might get easier. You just don't know. But all that Scotland fans need to hope for, and all the Scotland players need to do, is perform on Tuesday, and then look look ahead to hopefully a, a much better couple of years for Scottish football fans. Andrew Slaven of the Toady Scottish Football Show. Here's Tom. Eight, eight, this is another Tom. This is Tom H one five zero two. How many fans can claim to be watching their nation's greatest ever player right now? It occurred to me watching Gareth Bell on Friday. How lucky I am to be see seeing him represent us. Uh, nice to take a positive Tom there from what was a defeat, of course, at home to Denmark on Friday. Yes. Um, yeah. No. No quibble with that. I mean, Gareth Bale is is clearly Wales's greatest ever player. Although he was eclipsed by by David Brooks, uh, the young Bournemouth winger, who was probably Wales's most impressive performer. Uh, Bale scored uh, at the end uh, mm. and also went close with the free kick. But by that point, Denmark were in control. Um, I mean, it it was frustrating in the sense that that Wales trailed by one goal for most of the game and then after conceding a second goal hit back straight away um, they also had a lot of the ball and created a lot of chances but there was there was a feeling the whole way through that it was Denmark's game to lose um, Ryan Giggs picked quite an attacking team as he's done throughout the qualifiers and they had a good go but then Denmark hit them on the break late in the first half mm. Nikolai Jorgensen ran through and scored um, and, and then Wales didn't didn't really manage to create enough after the break uh, Martin Braithwaite of Middlesbrough uh, got the second goal from a long throw towards the end and then yeah and then then Bale reduces the arrears at the end um but in vain not a huge sense of disappointment i don't think for wales i mean it's a young team it's it's a young team um and you know to Giggs's credit he's brought through an awful lot of young players um and so you know looking ahead to the euro qualifiers next year you know the, the team is evolving um i think you know that the fear for wales after euro 2016 was that this was a one off because nations of wales's size generally don't qualify for major tournaments all that often um, unless they're Croatia unless they're Croatia or, or, uh, or Uruguay but you know yeah. let's let's not mention them right. uh, <laughs> and but you've got all these young players coming through and, and you can see you can see the future of the team you can see the next five the next ten years now um, of, of the Welsh team which is uh, which is exciting excellent that is good uh, that result by the way meant that Ireland uh, already relegated to the third tier no matter what happens on Monday night when they take on Denmark, Northern Ireland are also down. They got beaten 2-1 at Windsor Park by Austria. Bosnia-Herzegovina win the group. Michael O'Neill says the team now needs to pretend the Nations League was never invented. Sounds an admirable policy. Mikey Hollinsworth asks, will the Nations League be as competitive next time round after all these promotions and relegations? He gives the example of uh, Germany and Croatia going in Group B alongside teams like coming up from the third tier like Israel and Finland. I think you could sell that as a positive. I think it means you've got a blend of 
of heavyweight nations playing against each other and then slightly lower down you've got nations with aspirations and then somewhere in the middle the two meet and that's to my mind that's how those aspiring nations improve as football teams rather than finishing fourth and fifth and sixth in qualifying groups of testing themselves in three team leagues with, that have a greater feeling of competition than their qualifying campaigns did so I think I see it as a positive Can I ask why can't we include South American teams in this? Uh, they're, they're not in Europe. Well, no, but they are. That's the thing. They're always over here. Like, for example, this week we had, or last week we had Brazil and Uruguay. And they're, they're always... I think know. what you're thinking of, James, is, is a World Cup. <laughs> it's a World Cup. But this would be <laughs> yeah, we've a, got one of those. This would be a World League. Is that a Nations League? Yeah. Oh, they, they, <laughs> I mean, they fit into the remit of Nations League. Um, speak, sorry, you mentioned, somebody mentioned Uruguay, which is what made me think of it. But it just logistically, it seems like we've already done the hard, the heavy lifting on that. <laughs> can we, can but, we not just enjoy the, the Nations League as it is for yeah, now? Can you imagine with Uruguay in, in the group? Well, England and, losing to Uruguay again. Great. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Speaking of Uruguay, uh, the Brazil-Uruguay game at the Emirates... Um, and a lot of people commenting on the the little coming together, clash. yeah, or clash of uh, great friends and teammates, uh, Edson Cavani and, uh, and and Neymar, yeah, brothers. It was was much made of that in France. Yeah, of Basically, course. Neymar he nutmegs Cavani, yeah. and Cavani then takes him out ruthlessly. <laughs> not really. He got a yellow, no. didn't he? Yeah, but it was not. It was the sixth yellow for Uruguay, which was quite an intense game, quite a physical game. It mm. was not a very good. They're game. Uruguay. What you want, Jules? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but Brazil. I think you know, give it, give, give it back as well. Yeah. But he was more the fact that when Cavani put his hands toward Neymar, Neymar sort of ignored him. Then uh, Neymar said that he doesn't know what Cavani. He didn't know what Cavani said to him at that instance. Uh huh. Where because it looks I'm like he sure. reacts quite angrily, he like yeah, yeah, yeah. I think brushes pro- his hand away, and then and then it looks like Cavani is proper insulting him as well. Ooh. And Kylian Mbappe yesterday in uh, at La Fontaine had uh, was asked about it, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I sent the the video on WhatsApp to Neymar, and Neymar was laughing. I'm not really sure." Knowing the relationship between Neymar and Mbappe and how much they ignore Cavani, that it was the right answer to say because clearly it looks like, yeah, we took the mickey off Cavani for what he did and getting that yellow card and getting that made by you, my friend. So, <laughs> I, I mean, he promises again uh, uh, a few interesting weeks to come in Paris. Right. It's curious that in France, the home of the menage a trois, that they're not able to, to make these three live together kind of amicably. Yeah, but maybe Mbappe and Neymar don't like sharing, so no menage a trois for them, maybe. Perhaps. Listeners, come rain or shine, your friends here at Muddy Knees Media deliver a whole host of podcasts to your ears every single week. And that's why we're giving the thumbs up to ShipStation. Yep, ShipStation, America's number one e-commerce shipping software, is now available in the UK. Why is that exciting, you may ask? Well, if you're selling online, you want to get your orders out quickly and keep your customers happy. And that's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation imports your online orders from anywhere you sell, from eBay to Amazon and even your own web store. So whether you dispatch one package per day or thousands per week, ShipStation is the shipping software for you. You'll get orders out fast and keep your customers happy. Happy customers mean more orders, and that is good for business. Because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days, plus get a special bonus when you use the promo code SHOW. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SHOW. That's ShipStation.com, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N, and enter the promo code SHOW. ShipStation.com. Get ship done. Daniel, you went to Burton Albion taking on Coventry in League One. Yes, I was doing a piece on Coventry's... Uh, kind of mini re-rise despite the club's owner's best efforts. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I mean, the owners have effectively run that club 
literally out of town on mm. one occasion and they may well be homeless next season but they are kind of eighth ninth in league one and having got promoted last season so mark robbins is doing a little mini miracle there were there a lot of people there uh 4481 i think okay memory obviously this these are the weekends when people football league clubs always say come and see us come and see your mm. local club yeah and i think there was no attendance in the football league over ten thousand, other than sunderland's thirty thousand five hundred and twenty seven. i think and how did they do against Wickham Wanderers? They drew one all with a last-minute equaliser. Wow, after their seven consecutive mm. wins. Yeah. Of course, this might be the knock-on effect of how great the Nations League is, That where in the past you only had the alternative of really boring friendlies. Nowadays, people are sat at home glued to their toes. Yeah. But not, not on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. There was no National League game. So. Not, but, <laughs> but, you know, in your head, maybe you give up part of the weekend for the football. Yeah. I'm just maybe. saying. Uh, <laughs> We'll have more top football league chat in uh, the Totally Football League show. Caroline Barker and the gang will be uh, in tomorrow doing that. They'll be ready for your journey home on Tuesday. Boom. In other miscellany, uh, VAR is officially coming to the Premier League next season. Good news. Woo. Woo. There you go. It's about time. And, oh, crikey, somebody put a clip up of Arsenal beating Everton 4-0 in the Women's Super League. Uh, with a double nutmeg from Arsenal's uh, fantastic Danielle van der Donk. Oh, yes, I saw that's that. That's what she does, yeah. Very, very nice. That, yeah, that's what she does. Oh, she's amazing. And Arsenal have been amazing this season anyway. They are by far the best team in that league. Danielle van der Donk. Mm. How's the French Women's <laughs> Super League going, uh, Jules? Very good, very good. We had a big clash last night in oh, yeah? Paris between Paris and Lyon, which are, the, which are the two best teams in the league and two of the best in, in Europe as well. That finished 1-1, but it was a really good game. OK. Did you get big really... crowds over there for that? 8,000 something. Yeah, almost 10,000. So more than in the Football League. I apart see. from Sunderland, obviously. But, yeah. but Lyon have the best player in the world, in, in my opinion, in Marozan. So she's amazing. Is she? Yeah, really, really amazing. All right then. Excellent, Jules. Well, just before we wrap up, one or two other things to, uh, to address, Daniel. Mm-hmm. One is we had a, a thought-provoking conversation about bad Brazilian players with uh, Natalie Guedra, who was in... Uh, we made an excellent debut last Thursday on the show. Um, and some people writing in with names we might have missed. Robert Hine says, any discussion of worst Brazilians must include Rafael Scheidt, signed by Celtic in 99 for 5 million, only made three appearances before being loaned back to Corinthians. Nominative determinism at its best. Uh, oh, our friend Dr. Tom wants to nominate Carlos Kaiser. Because, yeah, yeah uh, the DVD about whose life is the perfect Xmas and Hanukkah present, <laughs> says Dr. Tom. Producer Ben says, Alan Brazil. Not sure. Uh, that... You see what he's done there? Yeah. Um, what about in France? Are there some legendary bad Brazilians there? Yeah, we have. And there's, there's the, um, Doria, who was the guy who Marseille signed Arbeis. during the Bielsa era. And Bielsa basically said that they shouldn't have signed him. And he became this sort of symbol of the disharmony between Bielsa and mm. the, the sporting management of the team. He captained Brazil under 21. Yeah, he's not He was supposedly player. quite good. And he, he's still there. And he's just never played. Sorry, I was frowning because Ben said Sonny Anderson. He's not that bad. Sonny Anderson was a legend. Sonny Anderson also is, is responsible for the fact that all modern footballers wear their socks pulled up over their knees. Yeah. You, footballers pull style. socks up over their knees, a la right. Thierry Henry, uh-huh. a la John Terry. And that was... All started with Sonny Anderson. Really? That was his mm-hmm. thing. Didn't want cold knees. And look what happened. And he also did the, uh, the sort of samba style dancing when he scored, which he was the first one to Lee do in Sharp Europe as well. famously took. There you go. Uh, Tomo says, after Fellaini's recent haircut, can you discuss footballers whose form has deteriorated... After having a haircut. Fred. 
when Fred was at Lyon, he cut his hair. Yeah. And his form really dipped. Fernando okay. Torres. Fernando Torres is. That's hair a shout. That. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Duncan Alexander, actually, when this question came in, pointing out that all four of David Beckham's headed goals came before he shaved his hair. So, oh, really? Yeah. He never scored a, so he never scored a headed goal after, like, the year 19... That is what Duncan Alexander asserts. And we are that not is a stat and a half. Mm. Our friend James Horncastle is, is convinced that the day he will cut his hair, if he does one day, yes. he will become a really, really bad broadcaster. Wow, that's yeah. let's just leave that that's one. Personal insight. <laughs> Quickly move on. <laughs> Open manhole. Um, right. Okay. I mean, yeah, Fellaini. That's disconcerting. What he's done. Yeah, it makes him look like Screech. I'd say. Yeah, say by the belt, it's a good shout. Yeah, okay. looks very much like Screech. Who has a checkered past of his own? I've got the, uh, an example of the opposite effect: a player Almost. who really wasn't that special, but is now really good now that he shaved his head. David Silver. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the wildly overrated Spaniard, who's suddenly actually become an essential Premier League uh, yeah, yeah. player. I think that was the change of hairstyle that's taken me the longest to get used to in used recent to. years. Really? I'm now used to David Silva having no hair, but it's taken it's taken the best part of a year. Fellaini's going to take longer, surely. Mm. Mm. Something about Fellaini, about the way he looks, about other players, when they see him coming, that looming bonce, it, it's... The absence of that is going to make him look ordinary. It's like really, you, know, the, you really think that you really think Absolutely. that. Absolutely, and I'm not the only one. The British Army thinks the same thing. I give you the Grenadier Guards with their bearskin hats, yeah, or, or London Bobbies with their big, you know, with their so pointy you, helmets. Do so you them think that now, when Fellaini plays and the yeah. defenders see him coming, say, "Ah, oh, it's okay, he cuts his hair." No, but just on the back of their mind, it won't have the same intimidating factor. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to more important matters. Ed quotes the Raven says lower league legend John Parkin's autobiography has forwards by Tony Pulis and Jilly Cooper. Is this the pinnacle of the manager best-selling author combo or can the panel come up with a better one? That's one of those questions and I know Ed is a, a Football 365 reader and I, that's one of those questions that's designed to make the, que- the person who asks the question look the best in the situation, isn't it? Because we couldn't possibly come up with... You can't top possible. that, That's can extraordinary. You? I, I want to read at least the forwards. Jilly Cooper's, it? yeah. Yeah? Have you read it? Uh, I have read Jilly Cooper's, yeah. It's, and why did she weigh it, in on John Parkin? It's remarkably mundane. It doesn't really get answered. OK. So it's not written in, like, her, classic Jilly Cooper no, style, then? No, I think he just asked her and she said yes. OK. Sorry, Are they who's friends? G- who's Jilly Cooper? OK, so, well, you can explain who Jilly Cooper is. Jilly Cooper is a writer of saucy fiction about posh um, country folk having affairs. <laughs> you look quite familiar with her work, clearly. But they, my mum's a big fan. Yeah, they're very... They're very... <laughs> I would buy my mum a Jilly Cooper book no like way. every birthday nice and Christmas. No, and then, no and then, way! And then it dawned on me when I was about 12 that it was basically filth. Oh, it's my not, God. It's, 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 not, no, it's, not, it's not It's, it's not. Kind of saucy. It's, it's, it's kind of saucy. It's innuendo, not erotic. It's right. kind of safe erotic literature. We, next time you're in, Tom, bring one with you. We can read some <laughs> We can have an excerpt. Okay, yeah, deal. that'd be great. So it's not Fifty Shades of Grey, but... No, no, no. It's a million miles away from Fifty Shades of Grey. Maybe three or four shades of grey. Okay, okay. So there you go. And Tony Pulis, you know, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, do you know, with that, I think that officially marks that, that noise you can hear is, is, is the bottom of the barrel being scraped. <laughs> so, but you know what? We are actually, we, there is one more thing that we have to address, which regards footballers in films. So let's quickly get some odds on football and, and proper things, and then we'll come back with that after we hear from producer Ben having a chat about odds with Paddy Power.
Thank you, Jimbo. And hello, listeners. How nice that you're still with us. And I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, everyone's talking about the Nations League, so you and I should do exactly the same. Give us the odds, please, on England winning the Nations League, whatever that means, next summer in Portugal. Well, as you and I have said since the start, Ben, the Nations League is obviously one of the most prestigious tournaments in world football. And whoever are the favourites to win, it must be properly good. And that team, of course, don't laugh, are England, for now at least. They top the betting at 12-5. to 5. Obviously, though, at the time of recording, we don't know whether it's France or Holland that will join them. If it is the world champions, I think it's fair to say they'll probably leapfrog us in the betting. But for now, let's just enjoy being the best-rated team in the world at something, kind of. Wayne Rooney was speaking after the USA game and in the build-up to that amazing Croatia game about Harry Kane doing the do and uh, that he is going to overtake him in the England goalscorer ranks. What are the odds then on Kane breaking Rooney's goalscoring record? We think this is likely. The price here is very short, which is testament to Harry Kane. It's even money that he breaks Rooney's scoring record of 53 England goals. Um, That sounds like a long shot, but actually Kane has already notched 20 times in just three years. So assuming he leads the line to his early 30s, this does look a relatively safe bet. Um, Although there were times against Croatia it was a struggle team scoring one goal, let alone 33. We've heard from Andrew Slavin earlier on in the show. He's uh, semi-optimistic about Scotland beating Israel. What do the numbers say? I think they can. Alex McLeish's second Scotland reign has been something of a white knuckle ride, hasn't it? But it could be coming to a thrilling conclusion. And they are odds on, that's four to six, to beat Israel and secure a remarkable Euro 2020 qualifying playoff spot, which would rightly be a very big deal. Uh, it's seven to two, Israel spoil the party by winning, and it's 12 to five that it's a draw. But come on, Scotland. And of course, Germany have been relegated down to the second tier of the Nations League. But give us the odds on them winning Euro 2020 anyway, because, you know, Germany. Yeah, the situation that the phrase Schadenfreude is made for, isn't it? Germany getting relegated. Um, They might be second tier, though, but they're still second favourites for Euro 2020. They're five to one to win the thing behind only France at four to one in the betting. That puts them behind the usual suspects of France, as I mentioned, Belgium and uh, England at the top of the betting. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, Many thanks to uh, Jim Barnett for his Arnold Schwarzenegger, your favourite film thereof, question last week. There's been a a lot of people commenting on that. I'm sure we've all got our favourites. I don't intend to delve into them here, Tom. Jim Barnett's come back with another one. He says, what's the best TV show ever made? Match of the day. There you go. There you go, Jim. Uh, but on a, on the subject of films, producer Ben was amused to see, <laughs> was amused to discover uh, that in France, Jules, in the new Spider-Man film, which looks excellent, the, yeah. the animated one, the Green Goblin... Yeah. Do you know who's going to be voicing that in yes. the new Spider-Man film in France? Olivier Giroud. Olivier Giroud. How exciting is that? No, but you need to talk about Scorpion as well. Well, OK. Scorpion, who's yeah. another... Is he another baddie in that? Yeah. OK, who's going to be playing that? Presnel Kimpembe. No, from Paris Saint-Germain. Yes. So basically, what, uh, loads of footballers do the voicing of films And in I France? believe last year in the Lego movie, Antoine Griezmann was doing That's true. some sort of voicing as well, or two mm. years ago maybe, something mm-hmm. like that. That's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. And they've, they've, they were so excited. They were really, really excited. I don't think it's a, you know, it's a huge part, but they were very happy to do it. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the film's done it presumably for the kind of PR value, have they? Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. And it's but it does seem cool. that French footballers turn up in movies an awful lot because uh, obviously Eric Cantona, looking for Eric, and um, I mean notably in, in Elizabeth, which I mean I was in Italy, I had no idea he was going to turn up in that film. Also, 
Tom. You were watching uh, The Theory of Everything. The Theory of Everything, and who should pop up but someone who looks very similar indeed to Frank LaBeouf. Yeah, but Um, why would Frank LaBeouf be in this film? Well, exactly. I'm an actor. Yeah, but has it, so has he got like a proper career? Yeah, yeah. he's on the he's at the theatre in Paris all the time. He's a really good Frank actor. Frank LaBeouf. Yeah, but I would say he's better than Eric Cantona, big time. Frank LaBeouf's involvement in the theory of everything is mm. not really signposted, or at least I was unaware of it. And so when he pops up on screen, mm. you're like, this guy looks a lot like Frank LaBeouf, yeah. and then turns out it actually he's is. So the day bef- I went to see that with my wife, and the day before I'm with Frank LaBeouf at a French game. And I said to him, I'm going to see The Theory of Everything tomorrow. He didn't say anything. And then I see him in the movie. Oui. So I text him and said, you could have, you know, you could have told me yesterday. It would avoid me the, the surprise. And he said, well, I hope it was a good surprise. And I said, it was, although he's got a short... He's a doctor, isn't he, at the hospital? Yeah, he performs a, the, an operation, I think. Yeah, he on, uh... and he said Eddie Redmond was amazing to work with and such a nice guy. So I oh, don't know, I've good. never met Eddie Redmond, but that's what Frank Leboeuf said. Wow. Okay, G- speaking of French footballing figures in movies, do you know who voiced... The monkey in Aladdin. God. So what? So this is Aladdin, the, like in the nineties, right? Yeah, like all those years ago. Maybe eighties actually. When was it? Was it early nineties? Yeah, it must have been. Who, who voiced say... the monkey in that? I would say... Daniel, you know. I, well, I've been uh, he told. Googled I it. He Googled say. it. That's I, I also know, but I'm keeping quiet. Well, go on, tell Jules us. Then. The French, in the French version, it's the French, the French guy, version, right? Yeah, I yeah. would go for Michel Platini. No. Jean-Pierre Papin. Even bigger. Jean-Pierre Papin. No. <laughs> Daniel. It's Philippe Auclair. It is. It's Ryanair, <laughs> Ryanair Emergency <laughs> Warnings. Philippe Auclair. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Does he do Ryanair as well? Well, yeah. It's, oh, what? sorry, I think it might be easy, Jeb. But it's the message that you will only hear, you know, if things have gone very badly wrong. It's not the scratch <laughs> oh, card right. one. It's the brace, brace one. Wow, this yeah. is amazing. And I think one time, you know, in a, in a previous incarnation, he did, he, he intoned those words for us, and it was really chilling, actually. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. He's a man of many talents. Mm. He is, Leclerc. for sure, yeah. with Philippe. Yeah. Any other random footballers turning up in movies? My ultimate one is always Stan Collymore in oh. Basic Instinct 2. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. That uh, Sharon Stone. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, super. Vinnie jo- oh yeah, yeah Vinnie, Vinnie Jones. Jones well, Vinnie Jones say, is yeah. Peter Ben. Good late. But he's an actor, so he's a bit different. Than... Well, yeah, but you know, if you say were from France and hadn't followed his kind of lock, stock, sure. and two smoking barrels thing, you would have been surprised. Say, watching the X Men when he turns up as Juggernaut. Yes. Also, because Juggernaut, to be fair, is about six times the size of Vinnie Jones. Bad casting. Listeners, you've gone, haven't you? They've all gone already. <laughs> um, oh well. So we'll be back on Thursday when we're joined by Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and Emma Saunders. And we'll be rounding up, you know, the remaining bits of Nations League and that. And, of course, looking forward to the return of the Premier League. For now, it's many thanks to Daniel Story. Thank you. Tom Williams. Thank you. And Julian Laurent. Thank you. And you, listener. We'll see you Thursday. Bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. 
That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.